We've still got uh, almost one full month here yet of fall left, so just keep that in the back of your mind. Um, Genesis 45 and 46. If you were with us the last couple of weeks, what's happened here is Joseph has revealed himself to his brothers. You know, this has been an ongoing thing that's been going on for at least, you know, 13 years here that he's been going through this. So, He's finally revealed himself to his brothers, and that's what we kind of hit last week. And we stopped somewhere in the first section there of Genesis 45. If you remember correctly, his brothers sold Joseph as a slave decades ago. Now he's come back. He is now the second in charge of the nation of Egypt. His brothers are in a famine. They need food. So they've been going through this whole testing process over the last couple of weeks because Joseph wanted to see if their heart had changed, if their heart was still the same bitter men that they were that sold him into slavery. And so as he reveals himself, you see this beautiful picture of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And I can't tell you this enough. If you're harboring anything towards anybody, I tell you, when you look at the life of Joseph and how he so freely forgave all these things that happened to him, sold as a slave, accused of a rape that he did not commit, spent years in prison, in Egyptian prison, no bitterness. No bitterness. What a godly example for us. And we've also said about Joseph, Joseph also is a picture of Jesus. So keep that in the back of your mind. As we study this out and we see Joseph's grace and mercy and forgiveness towards his brethren, it's also a picture of Jesus and his grace and mercy towards us. So keep those things in the back of your mind here. So once again, we hit these verses last week, but I just want to repeat a little bit of it. Genesis 45, verse 1, it says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. As I mentioned last week, wouldn't you not have loved to have been there for the big reveal? Verse 4, And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. So they came near him, and they said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Verse 4 sure seems like they didn't get it. I mean, why would they think that? I mean, why would they even cross their mind? It had been years. They probably gave Joseph up for dead. Here's this man that's dressing like an Egyptian. He's been talking like an Egyptian. And all of a sudden, he's revealing himself as Joseph. It really is one of those things of mind-blowing. Verse 5, But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. I want you just to focus on a few of these verses. Look at verse 5. What does Joseph say? Do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here. God sent me. God sent me. Look at verse 7. God sent me before you. And one more time in verse 8. It was not you who sent me here, but God. That shows no bitterness. That shows that Joseph says, I see the big picture. The big picture is, you brothers do not do this to me. God had a bigger plan, and that bigger plan was to get me into Egypt, get me into this position, so that way I could save, I could save this nation. If you remember way back when we have studied our first study on Joseph, we went through this really long list. If Joseph wasn't sold as a slave, then this wouldn't happen, this wouldn't happen, this wouldn't happen. Eventually it reached a point of, probably the tribe of Judah wouldn't have survived because they would have had no food. Why would the Egyptians take kindly to the Hebrews? We're going to study in just a couple weeks. The Egyptians hated the Hebrews. They wouldn't eat with them. They wouldn't be around them. So if these Hebrews showed up begging for food, 
The Egyptians would not care in any way whatsoever. So this famine was coming. God knew this famine was coming. So God's ordained plan, he set Joseph up to get to this position to be second in charge of Egypt. So therefore, he could save his household, his family. Joseph sees that. Now, did he see it right away? I don't know. How many years did it take for Joseph to see that? I've seen people go through very difficult circumstances, and they're very bitter about it and angry about it at the beginning. You talk to them years later, they're like, yeah, now I see why the Lord did that. Just like tonight, I was loading up the kids, I was out here shoveling sidewalks and stuff, and thinking, gosh, it really wasn't that long ago that it was 85 degrees and sunny and the sun was still out for the Wednesday night service, you know? You kind of forget that. You forget what it's like to go out and be warm. It's amazing how quickly our mind has a tendency to forget things. So as soon as one bad thing happens in our life, all of a sudden it's like, Lord, where are you? Where do you go? Why do you not care about me? Joseph, looking back, says, I see the big picture. Don't underestimate that point. Because some of you are going through something right now, and it's very difficult. Maybe it's physically, it's emotional or spiritual. I don't know what it is. But Joseph says, I see the big picture now. That's a great lesson to learn. So God set this up. For us to be here, what happens next? Verse 9, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus your son Joseph, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. Lest you and your household and all those who have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin. See that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother's Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Remember, those are the only full brothers there. Everything else was a half-brother. Verse 15, moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and after that, his brothers talked with him. Do you see this heart of forgiveness? We just talked about on Sunday how Paul, in the middle of the storm in Acts 27, had to say that one little I told you so point, right? Remember that? There's nothing in here. There's nothing in here of I told you so. There's nothing in here of any bitterness. This is why Joseph is that picture of Jesus. Look at these words that he says. And and this is the same thing that God is saying to us. Look at verse 11. You can almost hear Jesus saying this to us. I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. It's, it's this picture of Christ of I will step up and I will take care of you. He's the one, verse 14, that went to Benjamin and wept. Verse 15, it sure looks like he's the one that went to his brothers and said, I want to take this first step. Have you ever had those silly little arguments in marriage where you're in the living room and your spouse is in the kitchen and one of you has to quit being an idiot and go to the other person and say, I'm sorry or something like that? Somebody has to take the first step here. Now, if you were asking me, these brothers should get on their hands and feet and crawl over to Joseph and start kissing feet. Joseph sure seems like he's the one that comes over and says, I want a relationship with you. What a picture of Christ that is. You know, so often we use this example, the prodigal son in the New Testament. A lot of people believe that the prodigal son is a picture of obviously a believer that goes away and then comes back. But the father is a picture of God. And that's the only time you see in the Bible God being in a hurry, in a hurry to rebuild a relationship with the Son. And that's how much God desires to be close to us. Joseph, he doesn't wait for them. He goes to them. 
And he says, I want to have this peace. I want to have this relationship here. Look at verse 16. Now this report was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart and go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded to do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. Also do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for their father for the journey. So he sent her brothers away to them, and they departed. Now we're going to stop there real quick. Jump back to chapter 43, verse 11. Chapter 43, verse 11. When they're going back to Joseph the second time, before they know it's Joseph, and they're trying to get some extra food, look how they try to butter him up. Look at verse 11. And their father Israel, Jacob, said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry, the, carry down a present for this man. A little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Now in the middle of a famine, in the middle of a drought, they're scrounging up everything they can. And look at the focus. A little balm, a little honey. Now, compare to what Joseph sends down to his father, verse 23. He sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and food for his father for the journey. Joseph, once again, is a picture of Jesus. And you know what? You can never outgive God. You can't. As we used that example a couple chapters ago of them trying to buy Joseph's favor and goodness, and when they do present the gifts to Joseph, Joseph doesn't really even care because you can't buy off that grace and mercy of the Lord. We still have this in the back of our mind, I think, sometimes, that my good works... My good works will make God love me more. And there's absolutely nothing, nothing that we can do that will make God love us more. Nothing in any way whatsoever. What an amazing picture of what God wants to do. We bring these little spices and whatever, and look at verse 23. Ten, go, excuse me, ten donkeys of this, ten donkeys of that. Man, you can never outgive God. And what a beautiful, beautiful picture that is. Let's just stop here real quick. Somebody have any quick questions, comments about this before we move on? Because things take a little bit of change of a direction here. Yeah, Ryan. Uh, just a quick little trivia though. Uh, by my calculations, the date is about 1875 BC, just from you know calculating forward, calculating backwards, from you know Genesis and Exodus. Got a little bit of history just to throw at you there. Uh, about 4,000 years ago. When you stop and you think about that, kind of puts that in that perspective. Anybody else have anything here before we go on? Yeah. Cindy. Now, their no, no. The father was told that they gave Joseph that they gave Joseph's tattered, blood-stained garment to the father and said some wild animal must have got him. Yeah, Samuel. Ah, uh, because Joseph, I, I think he's just overwhelmed with this emotion of this reconnection. He's just overwhelmed with this idea of the family coming back together. If you look at the turmoil that Joseph went through, being a slave, then being in prison, and now where he's at, it's an unbelievable journey. And if Joseph really is a picture of Christ, you see Jesus in the Bible weeping. And he's weeping when he sees sin that affects him. And he's also weeping then when he sees um, relationships not restored where they should be. So I think it just shows Joseph's emotion of how much he cared for his brothers and how much he loved them. He could have had bitterness and he didn't. He's weeping, I hope, out of joy there. Somebody else had their hand up there. Yeah. Yeah. 
I would assume that you have 10 males, 10 females for mating purposes. I would assume that would be the thing, is that once those donkeys got there, they could actually then build their flock up with them. That would be my assumption on that. Yeah. At this time, we don't know for sure. We don't know. What we do know is after Pharaoh, after this Pharaoh, the Bible says that basically after Joseph died, excuse me, that the memory of Joseph kind of gets put in the back burner and the remaining Pharaohs don't care about him. But history has not told us who this Pharaoh was that was so kind and considerate to Joseph. Now, if you watch the Ten Commandments, obviously Charlton Heston knows um, everything because, you know, that Pharaoh was friends with Moses and they got that all figured out. But uh, we really don't know for sure. Hollywood has their opinions, but uh, the Bible does not say, nor history tells us. Well, I mean, seriously, if, if there was a fourth member of the Trinity, it would probably be Charlton Heston. I mean, that's what it comes down to. I don't even know why I'm saying that. Um, just scratch that from the recording. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you, sound guys. Um, anybody else got anything here before we move on? All right, this is where it changes a little bit. I like verse 24. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Now, depending on your translations, what that is saying, that word troubled, that troubled is such a fascinating verse. It could mean worried, upset, trembling, angry, anxious, etc. What is Joseph saying? Basically, verse 24, guess what those brothers have to do? They have to go home now and confess to Dad about what happened. We know that they're still wondering what's going to happen because soon as Joseph dies, excuse me, as soon as Jacob dies, because Jacob comes back to Egypt and the Bible says that he lives about another 17 years. And then two decades after this event, the brothers go to Joseph after their father died and they're assuming now that Joseph is going to really finally lay down the law on them and judge them. So Joseph is saying, hey, don't think about this. Don't worry about this. Don't become troubled along the way. I struggle with this. I'll have this counseling session with a couple or somebody, and the session ends, and I'm driving home like, man, why did I say this? You replay the conversation. What's going on? I mean, I'll be driving home tonight. I'll be thinking, why did you make the joke about Charlton Heston? That was stupid. And these are the things that go through your mind. And then you start doing things like, Lord, I know you really don't do this, but could you take me back in time so I wouldn't say stupid stuff? And we think things through and we analyze. And next thing you know, we're laying in bed and it's now midnight, then 1 o'clock, then 2 o'clock. Then we think we should walk around. And then all these things are going on. Joseph is saying to his brothers, guys, verse 24, don't think about this. It's really okay. That's a great simple lesson, isn't it? It's really going to be okay couple quick passages on this. Let's go through a tour of the Bible. Can you go to Isaiah 43 first? Isaiah 43. If you are a thinker, if you are a dweller, if you are an analyzer, these passages are for you. If you're not one of those people, you know somebody who is. Know these passages to pass them along to somebody else. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. Think about this right here. As we go to Isaiah 43, look at verse 18. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Well, that's a great start, isn't it? Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. How much time do we waste analyzing things that happened in the past? Look what God wants to do, verse 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I'll even make a road in the wilderness. 
And rivers in the desert, the beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself, they should declare my praise. See, what happens is we sit here and we analyze these situations, and we say, well, what's God going to do? It's not going to work out. That's why he says right here in verse 19, the wilderness, we can't have a road there. Yeah, put a road there. Middle of the desert, there's going to be a river? No way. Yeah, I can put a river there. The Lord can do it. The Lord can do it. And, I, and it's amazing how, for how long I walked with the Lord and how many times I've seen God do stuff out here at church. It's like I still forget He's in the business of miracles. I forget that. He makes rivers in the deserts and roads in the wilderness. And He tells me in verse 18, quit thinking about the past. Quit thinking about the past. Let's go one step further with that. You don't need to turn to this one because we mentioned this one a lot. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 3. Paul said in Philippians 3, I put the past behind me and I focus on the goal of Christ Jesus, which is ahead of me. And as we said many times, if anybody had a past, it was Paul. Paul, who would round up Christians and have them killed. He says, i got to put that past behind me, and i got to move forward in Christ. I have to. What happens if we don't do this? What's the result of this? Jump to the book of Psalms real quick. Just go to the left. Just go to the left a few books. Psalms. Psalm chapter 6. Psalm 6 gives a very honest assessment of what happens when we don't let our minds settle down. Psalm 6, look at verse 6. Does this not ever describe you at night? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Boy, isn't that the truth. Those nights where you can't sleep and you're just constantly moving around and you're just emotionally a mess and a wreck. Boy, that, that's the opposite of it. You, you know, and think about how many sleepless nights you've had worrying about things. Think about how many conversations with people that you were worrying about things. God says you've got to trust me, let the former things gold, go, let it go. Just like Joseph is telling his brothers, guys, on the way home, don't worry about this. Don't worry about it. Think of some just great practical advice there. So let's see what happens when they go home. Verse 25. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive and he is governor over the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words that Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go see him before I die. Now, I can't imagine that conversation. You know, you have to think of the years that have passed since then, and the years that have gone, and these brothers, the guilt and shame, what they had to tell their father. What they had to tell their father. Now, we've, we've picked on Jacob a lot for being emotional. And verse 28 is a little bit of his emotion, I think. I take it this way. Maybe you don't. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go see him before I die. It sure seems like the context is Jacob says, I'm going to go to Joseph and then die. The Bible says he goes and he lives another 17 years. I think it was Isaac, his dad. Didn't we talk about his Isaac, his dad, one time that before he blessed Jacob and Esau, he said, I have to bless you before I die. Then he ended up living another 40 years. Sometimes we don't know everything we think we know. I know loved ones that have been telling us they're dying for the last two decades. You know, they just, it's the end is coming and they just keep going. 
Just live the life that God gave you with the time that He gave you for Him. So, what happens now? They get ready to go. Verse 1 of chapter 46. So Israel, which is Jacob, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes, meaning Joseph will be there when you die. He will see them. So then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives, and the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. Now, we make this point all the time, but it bears repeating. If he has to say in verse 3, do not fear to go down to Egypt, what does that mean? That means Jacob was afraid to go down to Egypt. Because why else would you say, do not fear? Because if you're afraid, God knows it. He's honest about it. So here it is. Do not fear to go down to Egypt. I'm going to be with you. Now, why would he be afraid to go down to Egypt? Well, if you remember correctly, in Joseph, excuse me, in Jacob's line, uh, they had some pretty rough times in Egypt. If you remember correctly, Abraham went down to Egypt, his grandfather. It didn't go real good. The whole Hagar thing, Egypt did not go real good. His dad, Isaac, in Genesis 26, God came to him in dream and said, Don't go to Egypt. Stay away from Egypt. So, in Jacob's little world, Grandpa didn't do good in Egypt. Dad was told not to go to Egypt. I don't know if I should go. That's why the God is saying, Do not be afraid. Now, I think it's important that they're at Beersheba because we need to remind ourselves what happens in Beersheba. In Beersheba, this is where God appeared to Abraham, and the Bible says that Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. That happened in Genesis 21. His dad Isaac in Genesis 26 also went to Beersheba, and that's where he called upon the name of the Lord. So as a family, Beersheba was so important to them. This is where his grandpa really got himself where he was supposed to be in the Lord. This is where his dad really got himself where he was supposed to be with the Lord. And guess what happens right here in verse 5? Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives, and the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. It's at Beersheba that he's doing what? Verse 1, Offering sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now, we pick on Jacob a lot, but Jacob also had a real walk with the Lord. And you see him in Beersheba going to the Lord. Now, what can we learn from this? We can learn a lot of things from this. Number one, if you're struggling and the fear, the worry, the anxiety is getting the best of you, where are you supposed to go? Go to your Beersheba. Go to that place and offer sacrifices, verse 1. Now, what sacrifices do we offer? We offer the sacrifice of praise, a good time of worship, the Bible says. Maybe a time of prayer, maybe a time of being in the Word, a time of service. I don't know what it is. But if you're struggling with something, spend that time with God. I don't know how many times people have told me, I'm really worked up over this situation. And last evening was awful. I was just so full of worry about it. So how'd you spend last evening? I watched TV. Boy, TV is not a worry killer. It's not. Maybe you should have shut the TV. I just needed something to keep my mind off of it. Yeah, it's called God's Word and prayer and fasting. I mean, has anybody ever watched TV and said, Wow, I feel better now? No, it makes you stop for a little bit. I mean, this is where we have to learn. Sometimes the patterns we've developed in our lives don't work as well as we think they do. Where's your Beersheba? Where's that place where you can stop and it's just you and the Lord and you can say, I want to get on back on track with you. 
You know, you think back to the churches in Revelation that Jesus wrote to, and they said, you've left your first love, and it says, go back to the beginning. Go back to that time when you were strong in the Lord and do those things again. That's your Beersheba. And learn. Here's our second point. Learn from these men and women that are in your life that are strong in the Lord. What do they do? See, the thing is, the more I study out these men and women that have been before us, and these men and women that I respect in their walks with the Lord, you know what I see? I see men and women of prayer. I see men and women in the Word. I see men and women of service and sacrifice. It's not that I'm reading about these saints of old saying, yeah, they spent their whole time watching television again. They didn't. And I really say, Lord, we can learn from these people. Israel, Jacob, obviously learned from his father. Look at this. And offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac, that had been passed down, passed down to what is supposed to happen here. So as parents, we're setting an example to the next generation. Wherever we're at, we're learning from the generations before us. As we've set out here with discipleship, I think every believer should be in a relationship where you're discipling somebody else to help them grow in the walk with the Lord. And plus, you're being discipled by somebody else to help you grow in your walk with the Lord. We are a body of Christ trying to help each other through this. And what we see here with Jacob is this idea of going back to Beersheba, getting his heart where it's supposed to be with the Lord, and the Lord then speaks to him. That's how God speaks to us, when we get our life right with Him and get it focused on Him. Now, does anybody have any questions, comments here before we move on here with the rest of this? Yes, Samuel. Mm -hmm. They started calling Him Israel a few chapters ago because it signified a change in Jacob's life. It signified that his calling, his ministry, was to be the father of the nation of Israel. And so he kind of goes back and forth with that. Sometimes he's called Jacob, sometimes he's called Israel. It's kind of an interesting study. It seems like when he's in the flesh, they call him Jacob. And it seems like when he's spiritually getting things right, they kind of call him Israel. You know, it's almost like when your parent uses your first and middle name, it's usually not good. Like if you look right here, it says in verse 2, that God spoke to Israel and he calls him Jacob, Jacob. You know, God uses it interchangeably. But God says, I want to call you Israel because Jacob meant deceiver. Because Jacob, that's what he was. He was a deceiver. He was a liar. He was this thief of a man. And so by having this name change being called Israel, God says, this is what I want to do. I want to work with you as a new person. And this is not anything new to the Lord. He changed Paul's name from Saul to Paul. He changed Peter's name. And the Bible says at the end that we're all going to get a new name too. So God's really big into name changes because it's supposed to show a change of heart. So by him being called Israel, it's supposed to show a change of heart where he's now serving the Lord compared to where he was. Anybody else have anything here? Ryan. Uh, the verse you mentioned about putting away the past and old things becoming new mm-hmm. uh, reminds me of uh, really Revelation chapter 21 where it talks about the new heaven and new earth and the new earth where former things have passed away. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, and that is something that's true, is that obviously part of the focus of heaven is to have that focus on the Lord. And this has been said numerous times. If we go to heaven and our focus is on everything that happened on this earth, there's a lot of pain and hurt I don't want to remember. And that's why part of the beauty of heaven is such a fresh start in so many ways, and I'm glad you brought that up, is because how much time do we spend down here rehashing the old when really Christ says, come on, we're supposed to be moving forward and focusing on the new. 
And we use this example a lot as well, too, where Jesus, excuse me, where God says that I don't remember your sins. But yet we still remember our sins. We still think that those sins are there. And really there may be ramifications of actions that we took. But in the eyes of God, those sins have been forgiven and forgotten and we can move on. And that's the beauty of a new creation in the Lord. And I think the typical believer, we don't get that. We don't get the newness of a walk with Christ, that you're a new creation, Lord. The old things have gone, the new things have come. It's a brand new, fresh start. And heaven is the ultimate fresh start of For all of eternity, we don't have to carry that burden around with us. Man, oh man. You know, that heaven thing, that's the goal. What we do at our house for Thanksgiving, Dawn's got this board up in our kitchen. And for our our, uh, supper time devotion, what we do is we take this little card out for whatever day it's on. And we all write down one thing we're thankful for. And so, therefore, we say it, and then our prayer is only a prayer of thanks. And it's kind of neat, because as the years build up now, we get to go back and read what were we thankful for a year ago and what we were thankful for a couple years ago. And so what happened is one of the boys, I think it was Kenan, a couple years ago was uh, thankful that the rapture was going to happen. And so we read the card, and obviously, as far as I know, the rapture didn't happen in uh, 2014. And so the boy said, well, why didn't it happen? I said, well, I, you know, that's up to the Lord. And so then Layden, you know, who's four, is like, you know, why? Layden's so straightforward. He goes, why can't we just go? Why can't we just go? And you stop and you think about it, and there is a part of you that says, yeah, Lord, why can't we just go? And that's where you want that freshness. You want that newness of life. You don't want the physical aches and pains, the emotional struggles, the spiritual struggles. You know, I had this moment recently this week where I stopped and I looked at myself, and I thought, I'm just so sick and tired of sinning. You know what I mean? I'm just so tired of stumbling over the same things again and again and just being a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just being a failure. And I thought about what God already told Paul in Romans 3. I'm not surprising God with my failures. I have surprised myself. I still think I can reach a point where I'm not going to do those things anymore. And it's almost like God says, yeah, James, I I know you're going to fail. I know you are. And that's the beauty of heaven is this fresh start, this newness And it's always dangling there in front of us. It's like, Lord, I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that. That newness of where, boy, everything is gone. The old is completely gone. And that's the goal. So we got on a little tangent there about heaven. Um, Anybody else got anything here before we get ready to close up? Any final questions, comments? All right. Changes direction here right around verse 6 and 7. And it may sound like that's boring because you get a genealogy. Well, this genealogy is very important because it literally lists... Everybody that came to Egypt. And it's important that we go through this because depending on your translation, about 60, 70 people are going to be going to Egypt. Now, let's think about this. Think about this. God told Abraham that you'd be the father of many. And Abraham really had only one son that God really cared about. That's really not the father of many. So then we thought, okay, he has Isaac. Isaac's going to get the ball rolling, right? Isaac has two kids. So we thought, okay, finally we're going to get the ball rolling here. Well, Joseph has 12. Okay, that's a good start. So basically what's happened is we went decades to get to one, decades then to get to really about three, and then decades to maybe get to about, what, 15? And finally by this time, decades later now, we're up to 66. This is the powerful nation of Israel. It's nothing. But from this point forward... Fast forward 450 years, now you got millions. 
So the reason God is giving this chapter in Genesis 46 is to say, okay, yeah, we're starting out with humble beginnings here. Give this a little bit of time. I had a pastor one time refer to Egypt as really being that time where Israel was in its mother's womb. Because when it came out of Egypt, there were millions of them. Millions of them. So this is really setting the tone for what's going to happen here throughout the book of Exodus. So anybody have any final questions, comments here before we move on with anything? All right, let's pray this stuff into our life and we'll let you go here. Heavenly Father, as we just look over the points that we went through tonight, boy, help us to have that heart of forgiveness just like Joseph did. Just to be able to forgive, to not have that bitterness, to let it go. Oh, Lord, help us to do that. Lord, I just think of what Joseph told his brothers about, do not be troubled on the way about that.